I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Heck yeah. So, wow, on the reality part. <laughs> what is reality? <laughs> today, today we're going to talk about the little known Genesis chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you say, what is reality? And I was like, I guess it's one of those nebulous things where we know so many facts, but what do we know that's true? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, um, this the quarrel between science and, um, or science as it is now, and religion. Mm -hmm. Right. How did things start? How did it begin? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've got, um, to help us, uh, Seven Glorious Days by Carl W. Giberson. Yeah. Um, the subtitle is A Scientist Retells the Genesis Creation Story, which is one heck of a cool idea for a book. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, well, it was terrific. And it makes it sound as if he's going through and just knocking out everything, or, you know, I say knocking out, but, you know, denying everything that Genesis chapter one says. But actually, what he's doing is saying, if we wrote it today, how would we write it? And he is a Christian, and he doesn't. He does a wonderful job of balancing that his Christianity doesn't overcome his scientific communication, but the other way too. He doesn't deny that the science can be at the service of something bigger. Right. Yep. I'm. I'm complete agreement there. It's. Uh, it's so very well written. You know, I want to start there. It. It just is. Just well done. I was really impressed by it. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, but he does say, I just um, marked on it, just exactly what you said. He said, I offer this book as a literary exercise in what the Genesis story might look like if we could update it with the wisdom and latest understanding gained from modern science. Uh -huh. And then he goes on um, in these chapters to really give you an introduction to Modern science, um, you know, everything from, uh, you know, protons, quarks, you know, to the big stuff, mm -hmm. gravity, all the forces of physics, um, just really great. And it's not even a huge book. It's about no. 180 pages long. Didn't take long to read at all. And very accessible because I don't, yeah, I don't really know a lot about, you know, science in, on the level he's talking about. And I was continually informed without, you know, having to strain my brain. But also, I was able to see some of the awe that he felt at just how the science worked and the math worked behind it. And yeah. I remember in this book at one point later on, he talks about, you know, once we're able to understand as creatures, math and the science behind things and how elegant and beautiful it is. And I think this book is the first place I encountered the concept that math could be beautiful and elegant. Mm. You know, math was math. I have to learn it in school and I don't really love it. It's not where I'm inclined. And But the way he talked about it here, I could really get a glimpse of this underlying set of networks and rules that people discover through math and how beautifully it's all put together so that it gives us the beautiful universe that we live in. 
Yeah, it's always been an amazement to me that math can describe everything that's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that That's just remarkable to me that, you know, I guess the way to say that is that the universe is intelligible to us. Yes. And, and we seem to see laws, we seem to see... Um, you know, the inner workings, you know, as, as we progress in our scientific knowledge, um, it makes sense. And then, um, one of the things that he says here, you know, you have the, the physics of the big stuff, and then you have the quantum physics of the small stuff. And then that's where things start to break down. And what Einstein kind of pushed back against was, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't make any sense, you know? This, you mm-hmm. know, uh, probability stuff. And, and uh, Giberson gets into that stuff, too. Um, yeah. But that's why we don't, you know, physics isn't done yet because the laws of physics break down with the very small, you know. So quantum physics doesn't work in the big world, right? And uh, the classic physics doesn't work at the quantum level. So, And yet somehow it all has always been there and always has worked together. And that's where you go, wow, this, the, the intelligence that put this all together, Mm -hmm. you know, the, these are the things where I go, this can't have been random. Um, And he doesn't stress that a lot until he gets toward the end of the book. He's just kind of seeing what he's uncovering with each thing. So, um, for example, he's rewriting in Genesis itself. And what I have here is the Knox version. Okay. So um, it's an older sounding version. And I there's some of the language in it is just beautiful. But anyway, it says, God at the beginning of time created heaven and earth. Earth was still an empty waste and darkness hung over the deep, but already over its waters stirred the breath of God. Hmm. Interesting. And God said, let there be light, and light began. God saw the light and found it good, and he divided the spheres of light and darkness, the light he called day and the darkness night. So evening came and morning, and one day passed. Hmm. And um, in Carl Giberson's telling, day one, in the beginning God created all that is, the logos of creation, out of which the heavens and the earth and all things within them burst forth, was the pattern of God's purpose, from which everything would emerge and toward which everything would evolve. And he's talking about the Big Bang. <laughs> right, right. Which we take for granted now, but of course was highly controversial at the time. And when it was put forward by um, Lemaitre, mm-hmm. I guess is how you say his name who is a priest, was highly contested. Yeah, and there's been so much evidence um, saying that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that um, I remember discovering uh, in something I read, it could have, you know, I used to read a lot of this stuff, but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the, everything that you see in the night sky is moving away from each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all the stars that you see are moving away from us. Everything's moving away from each other, which means that, you know, that's what would happen if there was some type of an explosion, right? Um, yeah, and there's know, also the background noise, I think, uh-huh. that are like echoes of it. Right. So, when you, when you look into space, you're looking back into time because, it, like, the, the sun is 
eight light minutes away or something like that. So we're <laughs> actually seeing the sun eight minutes ago when okay. we look up at the sky. Right. So when you look at a star, you're looking light years. So the light that you're seeing took years to get to us. Right. So yeah. you're actually, the farther you can look, the farther back you're actually looking, which is also right. mind boggling. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's just, just amazing. But there's been, yeah, just a ton of evidence that this big bang theory is right. Um, what the question always is, um, is, well, what happened at the beginning? Right. And yeah. then you have, you know, Stephen Hawking and, um, everybody did, you know, again, everything just breaks down at that point. And, and that sort of fits what we believe, you know, because God started mm-hmm. the whole thing from, from nothing. Right. Yeah. That's what the, the belief is. In fact, I got the catechism. Oh. Um, yeah. So it says here, this is 290, CCC 290. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, says, let's see, uh, three things are affirmed in these first words of scripture. The eternal God gave a beginning to all that exists outside of himself. He alone is creator. And then the totality of what exists depends on the one who gives it being. That's beautiful. Yeah. Like the the catechism is so often. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And then it says the next 291, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, which is from the gospel of John. Yes. Um, it, it connects it to there. Um, but it says in 296, we believe that God needs no pre-existent thing or any help in order to create, nor is creation any sort of necessi- necessary emanation from the divine substance. In other words, uh, God creates freely out of nothing. Yeah. Which is just astounding. You know, it's, it's so amazing to think about it. And um, you, you have, you know, scientists in the world who believe that there is no God. And in mm-hmm. fact, Stephen Hawking, in the last book that he wrote, it's called, I actually have it here too, uh, Brief Answers to the Big Questions. He claims mm-hmm. that God is not necessary. But then um, he, he writes in a, his first chapter of this book is, Does God Exist? And he says, no. <laughs> and he says, it's, it's, not, it's not needed uh, in order to create the universe. But then he goes on to explain um, what he believes. And there's never nothing in what he believes. There's always, you know, well, what's before that? You know, you, you keep having that question. Um, well, what's before that? Well, what's before that? You know, so, you know, time itself was created at the instant of the, of the universe's creation mm-hmm. out of nothing. There was nothing there before. And um, he, <laughs> he, he says, you know, well, there, there could have been uh, something, you know, the size of a proton and the entire universe was in that. Or, well, that's still something. Yeah. Where'd it come from? Where'd it come from? Right. <laughs> you know, so th- there was never a point, even though he used the word nothing, what he described was never nothing. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting because I reread yeah. that last night just to think about it. So, but it, regardless of that, it's it's like you know to believe that there was no God involved in this process whatsoever is just as amazing to me <laughs> a belief <laughs> as if to believe that there is right. Just as much a leap of faith. Just so as to speak. much a leap of faith, you know, because it is. 
it is absolutely amazing, you know, to just think about and you go all the way back. Well, what was before that? And what was before that? You know, and then you get yeah. to the point where there was no before that because it all started at this point. Well, what was there? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so it's so tough to think about. Well, and one of the things I like about this book, so he starts off talking about, you know, here's here's who I am. Um, you know, I grew up really religious. Then I went to school and discovered science and went, oh, no religion, never mind. Um, and then was able to kind of think through it on a different level and said, oh, yeah, they can both exist, which is the Catholic Church has almost always been there. And um, so in the book, he then does the first day of creation, second day of creation, where he has his summary of what, you know, the like the in the beginning thing I read, and then a very short synopsis of what actually happened, mm. which is helpful to me. Yeah. Because you read through it, and so it's in the second epoch of creation, atoms and molecules appear, this <laughs> and this and this. They're endlessly recycled and that kind of thing. And that's where... I I also came across the concept that, you know, all the atoms now were around back then. Oh, isn't that amazing? And yeah. Yeah. yeah all and I was of the like, yeah, all of the what, what uh, protons and electrons and things. Yeah. It's like it says the same yeah. atom can be a part of Moses's physical makeup that was floating in space ten billion years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um and then he also later he points out that everything that we're made up of was inside a star once because it took the heavy complex molecules. And I was like, this book, I was like, wait, what? Hold on. That's so cool. And anyway, so he goes through and very briefly describes everything, which is really helpful, for instance, in our conversation. But then he has a chapter on each one where he goes into it in more depth. And, um, He's almost never, like I say, injecting, I don't know, uh, faith. He'll talk about the arguments people had maybe about it yeah, before yeah. a concept came to be accepted. And um, when he's, and that's how he'll come to things about, you may not like what's in nature, for example, decaying meat covered with flies, forest mm-hmm. fires, the digestive process. But the hidden mathematical laws that guide such processes are themselves quite beautiful. Yeah. And so then he'll go on and talk about all that stuff. And so what he's showing is the beauty that a scientist sees. And and he's making it so accessible because for someone like me, like I said, I'm not going to get that in other ways. I, I can read just a little bit of this in, in day one to, to give a, a sample of his style, Giberson yeah. style. Um, so he says... Gravity creates stars by gently tugging on hydrogen atoms until they gather into huge balls. These balls got larger and larger until their gravitational pulls became so strong, they started to crush the atoms out of which they were made. This crushing process, amazingly, causes the stars to ignite through a process known as fusion. Gigantic, ongoing nuclear explosions that can last for billions of years. Fusion compresses the single hydrogen atoms so powerfully that they combine into larger atoms, like little gobs of mercury joining together into a bigger gob. Atoms like helium, carbon, nitrogen, and iron originated through this fusion process. Larger atoms, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, make life possible. Life cannot be constructed in any form from hydrogen. We now understand the remarkable truth that all the atoms in our bodies today were fused in this ancient furnace. 
This is an amazing perspective. Look at your hands. Imagine you can see enough detail to distinguish the individual atoms. Now look at the sun or another star if it is night. The atoms in your body were once inside a star. The billion year journey they took from that star to your hands is amazing. It is the most provocative of the many plot lines that run through the grand narrative of creation. I love it. And then mm-hmm. his next sentence in there, it says, uh, this is not a tale that science tells very well. <laughs> you know, so, so again, it's, it's telling you, uh, you know, science is doing a different thing than religion is doing anyway. And, and it's always hard. That's, you know, the, the whole science versus religion controversy is just so difficult. You know, when you, when you hear a scientist say, um, well, we don't need religion anymore because now science explains everything. They don't have any understanding of philosophy or religion, and they don't have any clue what that is. Right. They're completely different things. Right. They're different things science and different ways process. to talk and right. think about them. Yeah. Science is a process about learning about the world, you know? How does the world, you know, what yeah. what wags the world and how does it wag and all that stuff, yeah. you know? Well, and he kind of talks about that in one way a little later in that same chapter where he's talking about, you know, we're... We're trying, scientists keep trying to find more and more and more things. And he says, but, um, you know, you need more to do it. Yeah. He says, um, and then he says, the agnostic astronomer Robert Jastrow captured this sentiment in a passage straight out of Fred Hoyle's Nightmares. And Fred Hoyle is somebody who was arguing a lot about the beginning of the universe and worrying about God being thought about in it. And he says, so the quote is, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's it. Yeah. And oh. so what he's saying is that um, a lot of scientists, when they work on things like this, eventually have a hard time avoiding the fact that there's something more going on. Mm. And I have read stories um, about scientists who've said, you know, well, eventually I just couldn't ignore it anymore. This was too, yeah, I've, I've too elegantly done, too yeah. beautifully fit together. There were no random things. If there were random things, once we discover them, they fit in a place that we just didn't think of, that kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, it's just just astounding. Mm-hmm. Astounding stuff. And, and I love what you said about beauty, too. The, the fact that the equations are beautiful. You know, like E equals MC squared. Mm-hmm. How is that so simple and elegant and beautiful? And, and you know, scientists like Einstein and, and others have said they know they're onto something when they start to get the beautiful, right? It's like, you yeah. know, the, the simple, the elegant, you know, they're, they're like, they, they know they're circling the right, you know, the facts mm-hmm. because of, you know, and how, how can that be? I just, I just find that just amazing. Well, especially when I look at, as I said, this whole, um, the way everything is described, you know, he talks about the four horsemen of creation mm-hmm. and he said, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but you know, to create. And he says, so there's gravity, there's electromagnetism, there's, um, 
the couple of others that it doesn't really matter. But um, mm. the thing is, is he shows how they all work together and everything is based on that. Right, right. You know, um, and so I just look at this and go, this is really neat. Yeah, so well done. Um, and one of the things that struck me once I became Christian and began reading some things like this or thinking about chapter one of Genesis, because chapter one just does the the stuff that's really familiar on the first day, this happened on the second day, this happened and God said, it's good. And God said, it's good. And then it ends with, um, you know, God saw all that was made, found it good. And then this uh, evening came and morning and a sixth day passed Mm -hmm. done. Yeah. Um, and then and let me just, you know how I said, I like the language in this Knox Bible. Let me just read the first sentence of chapter two. Okay. Thus heaven and earth and all the furniture of them were completed. (laughs) <laughs> like all the furniture of them. I'm like, oh, I like that. Wow. All the furnishings were all set. It's done. That's awesome. That's <laughs> anyway, awesome. that's that's a digression. Yeah, I love that. But, no, uh, that's great. Yeah, so, but looking back at the book of Genesis and looking at how this scientific unfolding is ordered in this Seven Glorious Days book, it's amazing to me how much the ancient Hebrews got right. Yeah. Yeah. In the order of how things happen. Cause they're not saying how God did any of it. They're right, just like, right. and then and, and this that, happened. And that's not their point. Right. It's, um, yeah. You know, that, that's one of the things that, um, it, it's like, you know, when, when Tolkien told Lewis, you know, this is the myth that's true. Right. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, yeah, he's telling this story that is the story of creation and it's a liturgical thing. Right. It, this is, yeah. this is how it happened almost, you know, it's not a science book, <laughs> right? right? It, it, it is not intended to give you the details of exactly what happened, but yet it's like this poetic truth and you, you look at it and you're like, well, yeah, um, this makes sense. And, it, and it's amazing that, you know, the, the current science actually does fit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Again. Well, yeah, and yeah, because what the first chapter of Genesis is about, if we look at it, it's showing us who God is. Mm-hmm. You know, man is created, um, and it does show us who we are too, because it says, and God said, let us make man wearing our own image and likeness. And then, you know, let us put him in command of the fishes, the sea, and all that flies through the air, and the cattle, and the whole earth, and all the creeping things that move on the earth. So God made man in his own image, made him in the image of God. Man and woman, both, he created them. Well, who's the human being who's the image of God? When we look at him, we see the Father. That's Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yes. We are made from the beginning in the image of God, Mm -hmm. like Jesus. So that is already embedded in the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. Now, the whole rest of the Bible is talking about that. What does that mean? Who should we be? How do we even relate to the God who did all this stuff? But look what this tells us about God, and it is good, and it is good, and it yeah. is good. Right, right. Wow. He's not creating it for any reason to glorify himself. He's doing it surely because it's good. Mm-hmm. So some of the questions that that come up as you read that, you know, is again, you know, who is us? Yeah, that's a question that that we get a lot. And um, so I've got the RSV 
uh, oh, okay. Bible. This is the Ignatius Study Bible. Okay. And what in there it say? says, um, you know, uh, for uh, chapter 1, verse 26, let us, it says, the plural expression does not imply a belief in multiple gods. It may be read as one, a plural of majesty, in which God speaks as a king oh. representing his court or mm-hmm. the fullness of his authority. Or two, a plural of deliberation in which God decides to create man after considering his options. And then it refers to Isaiah 6, 8 on that one. Mm. And then three, a plural of self-exhortation in which God urges himself into action. Or four, a plural of assembly in which God addresses his intention to the heavenly host of angels. And then refers to Job on that one as a cross-reference. And then it says, Christian tradition detects in this idiom a hint that God himself is a communion of divine persons, later revealed as the Trinity. Scripture elsewhere indicates that creation is the work not only of the Father, but also of the Son and the Spirit. Yeah, because the Spirit of God goes over the waters. Right, right. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning. Indeed. And um, this is also where, you know, when God says, let there be light, you know, what God says happens, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, you know, later on, you know, when he says, you know, this is my body, right? Yeah. It, it's the same creative oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's really great. Yeah. So, again, I, it's like, you know, Tolkien saying, well, this is the myth that's true, <laughs> right? Yeah. These things, right. these things are happening truthfully, and uh, um, yet they, they do follow this you know, well, the mythic stuff comes from this, right? It's inside us. Yes. So, so, but this is the one that's true. This is the one that's happening. Right. Well, and it's funny because um, I was thinking about all that as you were reading and talking about the us and everything. And I was thinking about also what that first chapter shows is everything is connected because of the way God, the progression God uses. Mm-hmm. But also, each of these things is good in itself. It doesn't need us comparison to us or mm-hmm. us to say it's good. So the geese flying through the air, the earthworms in the dirt, all these things are in themselves good mm. and reflective of something of God. Because the artist is always seen in his work, right? So here we are, we're in God's image. And he says, you're in our in my image. And God pronounced his blessing on them. Increase and multiply and fill the earth and make it yours. Take command of the fishes in the sea and all that flies through the air and all the living things that move on the earth. And um, what he's saying is essentially what we'll see when we read further on into Genesis in chapter 2. He's saying, create with me. Mm. Yeah. Be the be the mm. uh, custodian of all that I have made. You know, you're here also. This is part of your responsibility. So, um, you know, in the past that has been <laughs> read rightly or wrongly, you know, like let's just it's all ours. Let's do what we want with it. Man is in charge, but of course now we understand man in charge to also be take care of it too. Right. Which right. people have also done through the ages as good custodians, but it's the idea that we are co-creators with God. So that part of us reflects God also. But the creatures receiving hopefully our care or that just live themselves wild, 
we're all connected in that way. And that's <clears throat> eventually where the seven glorious days winds up. Mm-hmm. Is part of that is we are all connected to everything. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I was telling you a, um, a psalm that this made me think of. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That I thought I'd read a little yeah, bit please. of. And I might have read it sometimes mm-hmm. before here. I don't know. I really love it. It's my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, so Psalm 19, this is the RSV, Revised Standard Version. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night night they display knowledge there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the end of the world and in the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other nothing is hidden from its heat The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, much than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Anyway, and so it goes on a little mm-hmm. bit then uh, for a personal reflection. But um, what that makes me think of is, first of all, we have all the evidence, the glory of God. He did not only make the beautiful math, he made the beautiful world and the beautiful universe for us to see. Mm-hmm. They're displaying the knowledge of God, but they're not telling us in words. Um, right. The... Uh, the laws of the Lord are perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, and righteous. Well, these are also the laws that people are finding in science. Mm-hmm. The things that are more precious than gold, that are exciting, that go together, that inspire us with awe, those are also the laws and precepts of the Lord. The The psalm writer was thinking of the Torah, mm-hmm. but it's reflected down to the very bottom. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. anyway, yeah. That where did, where did me. that stuff come from? It is inspirational. Right. Where did it come from? Right. Where did everything come from? Yeah. <sighs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, I've got here, too, a book that you recommended a long time ago, A Catholic Introduction to the Bible by, mm-hmm. um, who's that, Bergsma. Yeah. And um, I, I thought it was really interesting. Um there, there's a little section called Genesis and Ancient Near Eastern Cosmologies. <laughs> oh. So it says, you know, the full significance of Genesis 1 creation account comes into fuller relief when contrasted with other ancient Near Eastern accounts of the origin mm. of the world known as cosmologies. So these other things. And one thing that was that really struck me is it says... The contrast with the biblical account is easy to see. So the contrast between this one and the other ones that existed. It says, in Genesis, God creates without conflict and without Mm. any competing gods. In peace and with supreme authority, he speaks and the elements of the cosmos come into existence. And in the other ones, um, there's always some type of a conflict and and out Mm -hmm. it comes. And um, I thought that was something. 
And usually, don't they have to have something like they take the mud and they do this and then they made man? Yeah, that they do. Yep. And I like this. Uh, there's also some really nice stuff on um, the image and likeness. Mm-hmm. So uh, it says here, if we look ahead briefly in Genesis for insight, we read, Adam became the father of a son in his own likeness after his image. And that's in Genesis chapter 5. Ah. Taking this knowledge back to Genesis 1, we realize that image and likeness is also the implicit language of sonship. Yeah. Adam is, in some sense, created as the son of God, a fact that will eventually be explicitly asserted in the New Testament in Luke. Mm. But in what sense is he a son? Antiquity knew two kinds of sonship, natural and adoptive. And then um, it, it kind of goes on from that. But uh, I have not read that book in way too long. I yeah. need to pull it out again. Sometimes going back to the basics like that is so good. Yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff in here that I was like, wow. <laughs> and the, the six days of creation. So we, we talked about how um, uh, the, the author of this was not trying to write a science book, which is something that people yes. mistake often. But it says... Um, in this book, again, uh, people naturally want to know how the six days of creation are to be understood in the light of claims of modern science, which is what uh, Giberson did for us, right? Yeah. Um, you know, which views of the origin of the universe as a matter of vast ages of time and evolutionary processes. Uh, however, scientific concerns, at least as we moderns understand science, and that's something we forget too. This was written a long, long time ago, right? Um, yeah. These these uh, scientific concerns are not of primary interest of the sacred author. It is best to read the narrative in the light of other ancient cosmologies um, and according to its own literary structure. When we do so, it becomes apparent that the sacred author has composed an elegantly balanced temple-building account that oh, points to the yeah. liturgical orientation of creation. And then it it goes on to say, in the first sequence of three days, God creates the forms of day and night, sea and skies, dry land and vegetation, which is time, space, and habitat. Mm. Over the following three days, he populates these three realms with appropriate, and it calls them rulers, the sun, the moon, and stars, which are the markers of time, Mm -hmm. the birds and fish, which traverse the great spaces, and animals who dominate the land. And then finally, Mm. man is created. The priest. Right. In the temple. Exactly. There's even a little chart. (laughs) (laughs) It's a diagram, I guess you'd call it. It's pretty pretty slick. But um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know I was talking to somebody um, in RCIA a couple weeks ago, and it's it's amazing. You know, as I read, I've been reading the the Old Testament. Um, doing Bible study in that, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm really I love just amazed how the whole thing is like this intricate bunch of gears, right? That you're just like every everything that you start to see, it just it never ends. Like you read this and you're like, here's another thing. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, you know this is fits right there, you know, and and um, everything points to everything else, and it's 
you know, I was thinking, you know, what we do here on Good Story is we take these stories and we look at the inner workings and and the philosophy behind it and everything like that. It's like this is the ultimate. <laughs> this, <laughs> oh, yeah. this is the never ending source of that exact thing. This yeah. is this is the story. And the other ones are stories, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the other ones are all stories that kind of touch on this. <clears throat> right. Right? They're all mm-hmm. true, but this is truer. This is truth, right? Yeah, real yeah. truth. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's amazing, yeah, because, and especially, like you say, I like that intricate bunch of gears because all these books of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, written over so many years, yeah. you know. And then different genres, different reasons they were written, all these different things. But yet it's the Spirit of the Lord over the water. Right. The Spirit of the Lord over it. And they all hang together because they're all pointing at the actual truth, real capital T truth. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I love the Old Testament. and Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I'm getting such a deep appreciation for it. Yeah. It's – I – uh, yeah, it's funny how much I love it. So <laughs> I never would have thought that before. Yeah, and, and this this kind of stuff interests me. Just the author and the date. So again, I'm getting this from the the Ignatius Study Bible. It says um, nowhere does the Book of Genesis identify its author. Uh, the vast stretch of Jewish and tradition, Christian tradition credits the work, along with the rest of the Pentateuch, to Moses. This would mean that Genesis was first put into writing during the lifetime of the lawgiver which has been dated in either the 1400s or 1200s BC. I'm interested mm-hmm. often in, you know, when these things were written. Well, and what we're going to find is what I've, what my study Bible said, which is, um, I think it's the 1981 version of the new America or the yeah new American study Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's old. I've got, it's got tape all over it, holding it together, <laughs> but all my notes are in it. I've written in it so much. Um, but it says the first chapter was written about the time of the maybe the Babylonian exile. And then um, the second chapter is some of the oldest writing of the Old Testament. It's much older. Mm. So, which I find interesting because the thing I love about, and we'll talk more about this, I guess, as we go through Genesis. But the thing I love is that the Jews will go, well, neither of these is contradicting anything we know to be true. Let's put them both in. Yeah. Let's not take away something that might be true or that is true. Right. Just because one isn't congruous with the other, all the facts don't fit together. And so that's, you'll see that people will talk about, um, oh, the four gospels, this one says this and this one says that. You know, this one says he was in the mountain, this one says he was in the plain. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, they weren't writing it to be, you know, yeah. this timeline. Mm-hmm. They, it was all these people telling a story. And when right. you remember mm-hmm. a story, you remember it like this. And when, I remember a story. I remember it like that. We're mm. telling the same story. Yeah. You know, just yeah. different details. For sure. You know, and then the book of Job leaps to mind on that. Mm. Now, is it, isn't it true that the book of Job is older than this? Uh, seems the like understanding that's... I had is it's mm-hmm. right after Genesis. Right after this. Okay. Well, or sometime during Genesis because it's written without, there's no, um, priestly class shown mm-hmm. job is free to you know joe no no priests are coming to advise him it's his friends right and job is talking to god directly himself and everything so that's more like maybe the time of abraham mm. 
or that, you know, that's which is a long period of time. Right, right. Before there was a priestly class. That was till Moses's time. That was Exodus. Interesting. Yeah. Because that was that was all set up after the Ten Commandments and everything. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. With with his brother Aaron. Right, right. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, so um yeah, we've strayed. One, yeah, <laughs> that's all right. One of the other things that keeps uh, coming up uh, whenever I talk to somebody about Genesis is that there's two accounts of creation. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, so chapter two, we probably should have went all the way into chapter two um, because it, it sort of starts over. And then, um, yeah, it says, well, in the day that the Lord God, this is in chapter two, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, um, then it uh, goes on, uh, then the Lord God formed man from of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Well, and you can look at it like that, which is mm-hmm. what I said about, you know, they were written in two different times. Correct, yeah. But you can also look at it like, it's like... Um, <laughs> Like in a movie, mm-hmm. here's the big picture, and this was happening in the land, and this right, king did this, right. and this king did that. And then it zooms in and shows us this guy. Yeah. Because what, and that's why I felt like it was fine to stop with Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2 goes on because Genesis 2 zeroes in on mankind. I see. I'm with you. Yep. Adam and Eve. And it's like, now, up close and personal, let's look at what was happening. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, and then the and rest the of other Genesis is, just, is about people, right? Yeah, the other is yep. big picture. The other is Big Bang, the molecules, the hydrogen, the gravity, the um, which I'm totally in awe of now. I mm. never really thought about gravity as being a huge <laughs> force, but you know where it's like it gently nudges the atoms, and this is how oh, you get man. all these things. Yeah. I'm like, dang, <laughs> carbon. Yeah, I now admire carbon more than any atom on Earth. I am just saying. Carbon is our um, favorite atom. Yeah, it's my favorite atom, as it should be. Anyone's favorite atom is it right. alive. Um, because that was the thing. If I could just get back to the book for one, the other oh, book for one yeah, second was mm-hmm. I, the thing when he said carbon is the most important atom for life and it's produced efficiently, but also with odd an odd bottleneck that slows down its fusion into heavier elements. So it's. It's like, okay, here's carbon. What? Now we're going to do something else with it. So it can't immediately turn into something else. It's got to create life. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's crazy. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So true. Yeah. So one of the things that this guy says, um, and this, you know, one of the things Christians are criticized for, especially from a long time ago is that they think that the universe was created for humans. They're so self-centered. And I'm like, well, I don't mind if there's other life out there. You know, that's fine. Um, And we're Mm -hmm. we're the highest animal on the planet. And that's just how it is. I can't help Mm -hmm. that. Um, But when you're reading this book, and he talks at one point about how fast life on Earth originated. And... um, Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I was, that's something that really impressed me and stuck with me. However much of the book I forgot, he says, even the simplest living things leave traces of their existence in rocks that geologists can study to figure out how old they are. Such studies indicate that life arose on Earth about 3.85 billion years ago. 
Not too long after the surface of the earth became solid, the earth originated as a molten mass and then cooled off gradually until about 3.9 billion years ago, the surface had cooled enough to become solid and begin to support lakes, oceans, and other water features. The quick arrival of life suggests to many that it was, as Harvard biologist Stephen Jay Gould once put it, chemically destined to be. Hmm. And he says, predestination is too strong a term from a scientific perspective. He says, but just as the finely tuned laws of physics appear configured to produce the chemistry necessary for life, so the structure and behavior of molecules seems to be such as to bring about that life. Wow. And so then he talks about the progression some more, and he says, um, it's this real orderly process when you look at it. It's not just a lot of things got thrown together and it happened by accident. All these things had to be in place first. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I remember looking at that and thinking, and he said, it's likely that we're the first life in the universe because of that. And that's when I went, because he's not denying maybe there'd be life on other planets or something. But when he said that, I was thinking of all the science fiction stories I've ever read that are talking about the old ones were out there first (laughs) and their civilization crashed. And then, you know... Then came humans or, you know, right. whatever. We're a young race, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what if we're the old ones? Yeah, I'm reading, I'm reading one right now, Sun Diver by David Brin. Oh, huh? Um, but this, this paragraph, too, I, I'm, I'm on page 99 of Seven Glorious Days. Mm-hmm. Um, this says exactly what you're saying, and I love it. So Davies, uh, Paul Davies is a physicist. It says, uh, Davies, who does not think for one minute that the origin of life is a traditional supernatural miracle acknowledges that the process is deeply mysterious. Commenting on the high level of cooperation needed for even simple life, he writes, if everything needs everything else, how did the community of molecules ever arise in the first place? I love that quote. Isn't that something? Yeah, which is without tying themselves down, they're acknowledging the seeming inevitability of this really specific chain of events. Yes, yes. And... um. Yeah, and so we've talked a lot about the science and the math and everything, but this author, Giberson, Carl Giberson, is driving towards why are we here? Yes. Mm -hmm. He says, if all this is really specific, as it seems to look, what's the point? Right, and that's that's something that science doesn't ask. They really don't. That's not what science is, and that's part of the point of – you know, well, you don't understand, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to say, well, they're going to say, well, why is that? You know, let's figure that out. And then they'll figure it out, you know, and, um, you know, partially because religion used to, well, and for some people still does try to explain, um, scientific things like, you know, why is there lightning? Well, Thor hits a hammer. Right. Oh yeah. You know uh, th- that's that's like religion is immature science. Right. And that's all it is to a lot of people. Like uh, Stephen Hawking gives me that impression, and when when I read him, uh, mm-hmm. that that's what he thinks religion is, and there is nothing else to it. It's just immature science. Um, but yeah, it it did try to describe natural phenomena, and was incorrect in doing so. I can tell you that <laughs> often, right? <laughs> Right, um, but right. that's not what religion is. That is a little piece of what religion 
was and may have grown through. Um, yeah. You know, because it, it moved just like philosophy has moved, just like science has moved. So has religion. Well, always being that same thing of God relating to each person. Yes, right. So ever ancient, ever new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so his conclusion, because he starts, then he says, so, well, okay, this is a book about us. So what are we like? You know, we, uh, we do, we have these characteristics, we do this stuff. And he says, you know, here's the thing. And I was also remember being impressed the first time I read this. I was very impressed that he is looking at the failure to thrive if you don't have love. Oh, yes. That and he's was looking at the studies yeah. of, you know, the children in the hospitals talk about heartbreaking and everybody oh, was really trying to yeah. do the right thing. We don't want you to die in an epidemic, so we won't touch you. <laughs> we'll just, oh, yeah. You know, these, that was something. Yeah. Yes. And these poor kids. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually what they discovered is human beings cannot thrive if they don't have love. And that's an amazing thing because love is not measurable and quantifiable and all that scientific stuff. And evolutionists can try to explain it by, well, the chemical discharges in your brain. No. Right. Anybody who's been in love, including those scientists, knows that's BS. And so the fact that we can't physically thrive as babies and little kids and even people, which is where a lot of this stuff comes from, like school shootings and weird things like that, mm-hmm. that shows it's a more important force than we can measure or reckon with. And that's if that's why we're created, if that's such an important part of us, that's part of why we're here. Yeah, and then he looks yeah. at how communities deal with each other and he talks about tribes mm-hmm. and he says you know and the fact that we can make our tribes very malleable you know yep, um, yep. i'm a part of the tribe of the u.s part of the tribe <laughs> of texas right. and yeah. dallas and my church mm-hmm. and the science fiction community exactly. and um, podcasters right. <laughs> and you know all yeah. this stuff and and we shift what we're looking at based on that but we try to do the best we can for those communities for sure And I loved what he said um, about Darwin, you know, um, they're talking about the survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And usually when you read that, you're assuming that there's this competition and whoever survives the competition wins, right? And therefore, uh, they get to survive and and that rules the world. But what, what really is going on is it's cooperation, Right. Is what what Giberson was saying. It's like when people get together and and cooperate, that is really the history of the world um, in these tribes, like you're saying, because now they are able to propagate and and uh, reproduction is the name of the game. The Mm -hmm. reproduction is you uh, that that's you going on. Um, that, that's, that's the selection that's happening is, is who's having babies. Yeah. That's the evolutionary, that's the evolutionary part. So, um, in order to have that, you know, there was cooperation and when people started to cooperate, more of that started to happen. And, uh, that was, that was uh, a nice thought I got out of this book that Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought of before because everything, you know, was red and tooth and claw, right? You know, everything's tearing everything else apart. I think is what he said. But that's not, that happens, right? But that's not the driving force. It can well, be looked at know, as love. And that's yeah. the thing, because we're also given these days, I think, to think of the world as a supremely violent place, because 
TV, social media, all these things are bringing immediate stories into our lives from around the world that we wouldn't have seen normally. Right. So it seems so, like there's more. Right. It seems like there's more and it seems and like there's it's also more people. Yeah. Everyone and mm-hmm. it makes us afraid. And so um but he stopped and said, "How often have you seen acts of violence around you?" And you think about it and of course there are unfortunate people who've been subject to them. Um but not me, not my family, not my mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Um, you know, and he took it down to how often do you see people at work just really yelling at each other? That's an act of violence. And you're thinking, no, that doesn't really happen a lot. Even, you know, more subtle acts of, you know, aggression, like, you know, uh, a quiet memo that's passed on, that, that will happen, but it's all contained. Yeah. Everybody's trying to cooperate the best they can. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you're right. That's It's more in our nature to cooperate than to beat each other over the head, which kind of goes along with um, – I'm rereading very slowly The Everlasting Man by um, oh, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton yeah. And he's talking about the fact that scientists, based on a few things they found in caves, made up this whole idea of what life was like back then. <laughs> You know, the ca- and at that point, he was, yeah. whenever he wrote it, he's like, yeah, the caveman dragging off his wife by the hair, all these things. And he goes, and we accept it as true, but that's completely made up. Nobody knows. <laughs> they may have been perfect gentlemen. That's so true. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I've thought those kinds of thoughts a lot, you know, when, uh, <clears throat> you know, somebody sees a painting or something like that, and then they they uh, make all kinds of conclusions based on it when it could have been a complete aberration. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing may not have been typical at all. Yeah. Um, in in all kinds of societies, you know, and I, I've often wondered that. Yeah. He said there's you no know. record of it. It's, it's pre-recorded. Yeah, it's like that too. And uh, when you think about astronomy, you know, astronomy, that's us looking at things from really far away. Mm-hmm. And making all kinds of conclusions, you know, and I'm I'm sure that once we get out there, <laughs> it's going to be different than we think it is. Oh yeah, you know, and um, there are some physicists who who say, you know, well, you know, we're we're about almost finished. We've almost got everything figured out, and I'm like, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> that's not that's not even possible. Um, well, one of the things too that so what gets talked about is the point is love <laughs> mm, yes. to everything. The yes. point of the universe, at least from our point of view here on this planet, and I don't have a reason. Everything this guy is saying, he's not saying anything that's not proven by science. Right. Um, but his conclusion, of course, is his own, and it's of course that of faith throughout the ages. Is the point is love. Mm. And if that's where science and religion come together in the end, then that's the point of God mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It, uh, his very last paragraph is beautiful. Should I read that? Yeah, please do. Okay. It says, our religious and our scientific understandings of the world have at last converged on the importance of love. Perhaps we can now affirm that this is the purpose for which God called the creation into existence and guided it into its present reality. And perhaps, in understanding this, we can go forward into an unknown and undetermined future with a vision for how we should live and what kind of future we should, in partnership with a God who calls us into fellowship, help create. And there was evening and morning, 
beginning and ending, of the seventh epoch of creation. And having entered into fellowship with creatures in the universe, God blessed the creation and rested, satisfied that the Logos, still very much present and active in the cosmos, was accomplishing its task. And God saw that it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was really impressed with that book, the entire thing. I, so I would glad. recommend it to someone... Um, who just would like a real introduction to scientific concepts as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what's a quark? You know, what's yes. a proton? What's an electron? Yes. What are forces? You know, all of that's in there, as well as life, <laughs> you know, all the way to love. It's, it's really a remarkable small book. Well, and I can't believe he covered that much. Well, oh my gosh. Well, mm -hmm. and it's a book that you can recommend to people who don't have any faith without worrying about the fact that they're going to feel like they're bludgeoned all the time. True. Very true. Right yeah. after I read it, um, a fellow office worker came and said she was taking a class in biology. And um, I can't remember if it was the teacher or a fellow student, but somebody who knew a lot about biology and was just adamant there was no way there could be God. And I said, well, give them this book. It is so based in science. I'd be mm -hmm. curious to see what they thought. It's at least a different focus to look at science through. Right, right. So the person read it in about two weeks, and then uh, my coworker came back and said, well, they're really stunned by this book, and they have scientific questions about some of the things. Who? What do they do? And I said, well, they need to go maybe write to the author of the book. Yeah, yeah. Or find somebody, if you know, some teacher at the school who specializes in whatever their question is about. But their only questions were about some of the science. And I have to say, when I read the book, I kept saying to myself, I don't know enough to evaluate if the science he's giving is correct. It seemed like it was. It seemed basic. When I looked around before we talked about it, I didn't see anybody going, oh, this is totally wrong <laughs> and manipulated. No. Um, and he does quote enough it was very good. Okay. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm, I'm no expert, you know, but... Uh, you know, it certainly fits well with the stuff that I thought I knew. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But yeah. I mean, you could argue with his conclusions. Anybody could. But um, he does a good job. Yes. Yeah, he absolutely does. And it's not comprehensive. I mean, it, I, I, it's a short book. And, mm -hmm. and again, I'm just stunned by how much he covered and oh, how yeah. well written it was. Yeah. <laughs> It, um, it explains it just things is so, so well. Yeah, when you read it, it flows so well. and Without um, really dumbing it down. Not I mean, at all. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that at all. Yeah. Um, one other thing I did want to mention that impressed me about the book is his him talking about the, um, the top-down, oh. <laughs> open-grained universe. Yes, yes. Which allows for information to be fed into the physical world as it unfolds around us. And so um, I guess the thing I think of first for something like that is the weather. You uh, know, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about it on a whole different level, scientific level. But it's we're part of that open causality. Mm -hmm. Us being here and doing the stuff we do is part of what affects the physical universe as it unfolds on our world. Yeah. And um, that's part of God allowing us to have free will, trusting us with it, 
and part of how God and the Holy Spirit also affect things. So I really liked that whole concept. You know, the world's not done, like you said. Right, right. Well, there's still, you know, a heck of a lot to say about Genesis 1. And uh, we, will, <laughs> yeah. we will be talking about Genesis for the next two episodes. Um, as, as, I, as I think about it, I'm like, is that enough? <laughs> well, that's yeah. why I was like, oh, man, we're going to do this, but uh-huh. we're going to have to just really hit the high points that strike us. Yes, because yes. Talk yep. about a dense book. It's it's one of those where, you know, it's hard to say if you have a favorite book of the Bible. That's like mm. saying you have a favorite kid. But Genesis really might be my favorite book of the Old Testament for mm. sure. I just love it. I've read it enough times that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, yeah. who doesn't love a good story? And this is a zillion stories. Yeah, yeah. So. Right. So, so it's chapter two through. Yeah. Part of 25, yeah. Yeah, 25 verse 11 or something. Right, Um, that's what it says, yeah. Yeah, there's some kind of a break that's like, you know, I think that's the patriarchal part, and then there's the other part after. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, love it. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been fun. Like I said, you know, just thinking about this stuff is... Uh, it's just, you know, I think I've used the word amazing way too many times in this, <laughs> in this podcast, but um, I really have always enjoyed thinking about the universe and, um, you know, it's like my, my thoughts get to the edge of it and it just is kind of thrilling. You know, I can't quite go past that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you just like, ah, this is just something. Um you know, it's, it's ineffable. There's really just no way to describe it. And, um, I've enjoyed thinking about it some more. Um, yeah, I feel the same way. Well, that's why I read Psalm 19. That's why it's my favorite. I mean, I'm Mm. usually thinking about the earth, the birds and the bees and the flowers (laughs) and blah, 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 blah. But the whole universe is part of that too. Right. Yeah. And um, I live in a big city, so unfortunately, I don't get to see the firmament as much as I'd like. And, <laughs> and when I do stop and think about all the amazing, <laughs> there's me using it, um, qualities of it and and just how odd it is, how strange it is, but we're part of it. Yeah. You know, and let's not forget that very Christian Catholic part is the God who made all that made us yeah we can argue about how it happened or the meaning behind it but here we are in the same place with that and that's you know talk about god humbling himself when you think about it you know but Mm -hmm. he's like it is good it is good he takes joy in it and Mm -hmm. we should too and he takes joy in us and we should too yeah and we're unique in it yeah and we are unique in it and it's not an insignificance it's a it's the opposite yeah. yeah, and these days, of course, our significance is downplayed. We're just another animal. Mm. Um, we're awful to each other. We're, you know, it's a very negative overview that science and history seem to be taking a lot of the time. And and that's why I like to remember, you know, it is good. God does take joy in us. We should mm. take joy in who we are. Can we do better? Always. Yeah. But we're not all bad. We are at base good. And that's something we should remember and hold on to and cherish about ourselves and each other. Yeah. Well put. Thank you. Very well put. Yeah. 
Great. All right. Well, I guess it's time to close this episode. <laughs> At last. At I feel last. like we've been going on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Genesis 1, just love it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that was episode 224. Yeah. And I'm you, looking uh, forward to continuing this next. Yeah. If you haven't read Genesis lately, pick it up. Yeah, keep going. Just skip the begats, <laughs> which we will be talking about. There's going to be a begat or two. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.